It looked like a million, a million and a half people. No one had numbers because the National Park Service, which controls the National Mall, does not put any out. You're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains alternative facts. Welcome to Snow Crash Radio, the podcast that explores the intersection of technology and power for the week of January 22nd, 2017. Everyone is listening to you now. Later in the show, we'll hear from the authors of a new study on social insider attacks on Facebook. That is a social network a lot of people are using these days. Um, You can find this show on there if you want. We'll also quickly run down some of the hacking news of the week. But first, in the world of power... Last week, a lot happened. It started with a rush of last-minute actions by the Obama administration, commuting a record number of sentences, including that of Chelsea Manning, effective in May, throwing some last-minute lawsuits around at big corporations like Sally May and Chase, giving a final press conference. The actions that we take have enormous consequences and ramifications. Took some pretty softball questions from the White House press corps, mostly asking him to give advice to President Trump, except except this one. In retrospect, do you think that you should have held Israel more accountable, like President uh, Bush Sr. did? And then the inauguration. Can't really not talk about this. Marches, fighting about numbers, about whether property damage is violence, about whether punching a white supremacist is ever justified. And then this speech. This American carnage. But if you actually do take the time to listen to it and follow along with the prepared text, which is something I don't necessarily recommend, you'll see our new president either did not really practice his own inaugural address, has some real problems sight reading, or he decided to sprinkle improvised changes to his script throughout the speech. The wealth, strength, and confidence of our country has dissipated over the horizon. Like that. That was supposed to be disappeared. And the speech is just full of stuff like that. But anyway. And then they say, there's Donald Trump, an intellectual. Trust me. I'm like a smart person. And then by the weekend, President Trump was by the CIA. We've been touring for quite a while. Riffing on a variety of subjects. Uh, it was a mix of new material. Probably almost everybody in this room voted for me, but I will not ask you to raise your hands if you did. And some stuff he has been workshopping. I always call them the dishonest media, but they treated me nicely. The whole thing was very weird. And you're going to get so much backing. Maybe you're going to say, please don't give us so much backing. (laughs) Mr. President, please, we don't need that much backing. While the world of journalism is ready to head into a truth war with the Trump administration, armed with infographics. I don't know. Will it be a shooting war? Will this will this info war be a shooting war? Actually, yes. While there's been an argument about whether it's okay to punch a white supremacist or punch a Nazi, uh, I believe an anarchist has actually been shot. So that was in Seattle, and that is still developing. And Saturday, across the country, really historic also events the women's march assembling what looked to me like the largest crowds uh, across the country since people came out to protest against the iraq war about 15 years ago or maybe it was since people came out to 
demonstrate for immigration reform 10 years ago. But um, all I can say about this is watch out, pay attention, even though it's getting harder to do so critically. And also it's getting easier and easier not to pay attention. I get it. Plenty of other stuff to pay attention to. And to that end, let's shift gears into the world of the cyber. Even before Trump was inaugurated, Cybermaster Rudy Giuliani, as well as more than half a dozen other senior Trump advisors, have all had their passwords leaked in mass dumps of hacked data. And we also had protests organized by the Tech Workers Coalition in Silicon Valley in the Northern California. It took place outside Palantir headquarters. That is a data mining military and intelligence contractor privately held, uh, funded by Trump donor, transition official, and the man who sued Gawker out of existence, Peter Thiel. This company, Palantir, it's uh, worth looking into a bit because it looks like it's going to have quite a privileged position within the Trump administration. It's already been invited to the uh, tech summit, transition tech summit they had, by far the smallest, smallest of the invitees. The protesters, they're asking the company not to build a Muslim database or some other kind of mass deportation database. And as for facial recognition, Apple is floating the idea of a new form of laser or gesture recognition supported by a new laser sensor. That's according to a release note about the iPhone 8. Also, according to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the Australian government is seeking tenders for a new self-processing system at airports, which will replace passports with facial recognition and or fingerprints uh, for more than 90% of passengers there. So, yeah, facial recognition. Get used to that as your identity. Uh, Brian Krebs of the Krebs on Security blog put together a pretty convincing circumstantial case about who was behind the Mirai botnet. That's the name for the code that uh, ended up being used to harness a variety of, like, Internet of Things devices. And briefly last year shut down a big chunk of the Internet in a big denial-of-service attack. The FBI is now investigating that guy who Krebs pointed to, so look for that one to keep developing. Also, right around the same time the Women's March was happening, the Sundance Film Festival said it was hacked. Sundance tweeted They'd been hit by a cyber attack that shut down their box office, but uh, didn't stay down for more than an hour. Unclear if it was related. Uh, also, two hacks related to the African Cup of Nations over the weekend. One taking down the main tournament website on Saturday, and then the French oil company Total's website on Sunday. Today, some of those hackers appear to be uh, saying they're Russian-based, and they're targeting the tournament because it's held in the oil-rich dictatorship of Gabon. And then the St. Louis Public Library, also victimized by a hack this week, its computers and its checkout system shut down by ransomware attack. That's becoming increasingly common. Hackers, they demand Bitcoin to remove the malware. Uh, the FBI is investigating that one. And a spokesperson for the library told the AP no ransom payment was given. Then on to another kind of hacking, insider attacks on your Facebook. I spoke with two researchers who just published a paper about it, and I will let them tell the story. My name is uh, Ivan Bashasnik. I'm uh, affiliated with the computer science department at the University of British Columbia. I do research on computing systems, security, and software engineering. 
I'm Wally Usmani. I am a grad student at uh, UBC in the Network Security and Systems Lab, and I do research in usable security. The research really started when Wally wanted to solve this problem of people accessing other people's Facebook you know, on, on their devices. Personally, I've been through an experience where my Facebook was accessed itself. And at that point, I started realizing that Facebook's security measures aren't really that well done. So we initially were really focusing on mitigation techniques. We were really trying to solve the problem through technical means. And that's kind of you know our expertise here in the NSS lab. But we soon realized that really we're trying to solve a problem without fully understanding the problem. Like the possibilities are endless and obviously this depends on the motivation of the attacker, but you can sort of mix and match in different ways to sort of leverage a Facebook account against a user. So that was really the how we got started in asking all these questions and realized that we really needed to do kind of a, a large scale survey. Ivan Bashaznik explains how he got around the problem of social acceptability bias. That's not wanting to admit to things that are taboo uh, in surveys, even if they're anonymous, by using a list experiment, which was suggested initially by their uh, co-authors at the University of Lisbon in Portugal. So this list experiment is a technique where instead of asking people directly the question, you essentially come up with a set of questions, uh, one of which is your target question, like, have you ever done this, this act? And then you ask them to uh, tell you the number of statements that are true. From a respondent, there's plausible deniability, right? If I tell you that three statements out of five are true, you don't know which ones, right? And using that survey method, they found about a quarter of people, 24%, admitted that they spied on the Facebook accounts of their friends or their family or their romantic partners. In, in the second experiment, we asked people to uh, anonymously write uh, stories that reflect personal experiences with these kinds of attacks, either from the perspective of a you know a perpetrator, a person who mounted the attack, or, or a person who was the victim of this attack. And so uh, we received about 40 such stories. And uh, basically, the, the paper goes into details of uh, characterizing them along, uh, along different dimensions. The paper is called Characterizing Social Insider Attacks on Facebook. We saw like five major motivation categories. And so one was curiosity. In this case, people just happened to see someone's Facebook open and they had easy access to it. They had no mal intentions. Um, the other one was fun, where there was just a prank. The perpetrator didn't really mean to cause harm. Another interesting, very strange type of attack we noticed was a utility type of attack. Here, the perpetrator doesn't really specifically want to get access to the victim's uh, Facebook account for the account information or to impersonate them, but they want to use the victim's account to do something else with it. So, for example, in one case, one perpetrator accessed the victim's account because they wanted to look at pictures that the victim was friends with. They just used the victim's account to gain access and see the pictures. So like that was a utility kind of attack. There was one where the intention was completely like evil, like they were actually trying to harm the victim. So these were based on animosity. Uh, in one case, a co-worker tried to blackmail another co-worker by gaining access to their account. And the last type of attack, and I think this was probably the most common in our sample, was jealousy kind of attacks where a partner would snoop in on their partner's Facebook to make sure that they are 
not cheating on them or of something of the likes. People uh, who've uh, gone through these sorts of attacks and wrote the stories as victims noted that after this attack happened to them, the implications are pretty serious. Oftentimes, the relationships would end. They were very disruptive, which you know indicates that people have perhaps a kind of unbalanced view of, of their Facebook data. And that's it for this week's show. Thanks to Wally Usmani and Ivan Beshesnik of the University of British Columbia for joining me today. You can follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Snow Crash Radio or on the web at scradio.org. Email me at info at scradio.org. That's what you guys should be writing and covering. Subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, or PRX. I'm Jonah Meadows. Thanks for listening. I love you. I respect you. There's nobody I respect more. Mm-hmm.